we're going to get further into the same discussion now that we started last week, uh, particularly about right and wrong view and the text that we're working from will is is many pages here actually and I'll just uh, send you one at a time uh, the first from puredhamma.net uh, which I've used before called Michaditi Gandaba and the Sotapanna stage <clears throat> uh, about wrong views 10 wrong views that prevent us from even getting onto the spiritual path 10 wrong views that in many ways are associated with uh, what I call the heresy of materialism or what's called existential and moral nihilism. And so looking over this material in the, in the last week since the first talk last time, uh, it's very clear that this is, uh, this is sort of the anatomy of materialism. <laughs> so there's the heresy of materialism and those four talks that I gave about what exactly is it and how particularly it relates to modern civilization trends, um, but philosophically to what's called moral and existential nihilism. Nihilism is like the doctrine of no, and moral is regarding the, you know, the concept of morality, which some people believe is uh, empty and there is no right and wrong, um, good and bad, better or worse, skillful, unskillful, um, and no consequences. And while, yes, there are heavy distortions in human religion and human thinking about morality, uh, there are indeed actions that help me tomorrow and in the future and actions today that will harm me today and in the future. And that's the root of morality from a Buddhist perspective. Skillful, unskillful, what is and is not to my long-term welfare and benefit, which of course just happens to be to the welfare and benefit of others as well. Meaning if it's beneficial for me in this Buddhist perspective of morality, it's good for you too. Meaning it develops, helps me uh, be better off to help you or more sensitive and caring and more available and more prepared uh, to be of benefit to others. Uh, moral nihilism rejects any kind of um, morality with consequences. Existential nihilism rejects any kind of view beyond the materialistic that is uh, all reality is physical, there is nothing else. And therefore there is no spiritual path. There's one life, uh, YOLO, and um, you get what you get and what happens, happens, and uh, we don't know why, uh, or there's no reason, or it's just fate or fickle, uh, and then you die and then it's over. Pop, 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 that's all gone. And these are considered core wrong views, and they figure prominently, actually, in the list of ten. So I'm going to try to run through this page, uh, uh, taking notes that um, along the way, going through uh, the, the points that are made here, there are actually 12, 13 major sections, and we only got through like one <laughs> last time, or two, maybe two, uh, two or three, uh, because I took, talked too much. And 
uh, every one of them uh, has off-ramps to other pages, other sutras, uh, particular sutras, suttas from the Pali, and other important pages on the puredhamma.net website, many other important things. So I'm going to mix it up today and uh, go into a little faster gear. So <clears throat> I'm just going to read through and make shorter comments, uh, reviewing where we were before, and then try to plunge to the end of the page, and um, we'll see how far we can go and uh, indicate where we're going next to flesh out the discussion. So point one, so this is the page again, Michaditi, Gandaba, and the Sotapanna stage, and again, many, many, many new terms will come up, and uh, I'll explain the critical ones as they arise. So, point one, the ten types of Michaditi, or wrong views, Micha means wrong, Diti means wrong, right, or sorry, means view, so Samaditi is right view, and so the Eightfold Path we have eight samas, eight rights, like you know, right view, right livelihood, right concentration, right mindfulness, uh, right speech, right livelihood, and so on, so on. Uh, ten types of michaditi or wrong views must be removed before one can even start on the mundane spiritual path or eightfold path. And then he goes to, uh, says, see the Mahachatarisaka, Chatarisaka Sutta, Discourse on the Great Forty, and um, I look through that, and it's very, <laughs> it doesn't make it as clear as he makes it. But this discourse on the Great Forty uh, discusses that there are two Eightfold Paths, mundane and noble. Okay, fine. Uh, it's enough to uh, just understand the, the normal uh, Eightfold Path, which is really the Eightfold Path uh, that one traverses or elements of one's self-training, right Right speech is a self-training. Right livelihood or right view is even a self-training. Training oneself to develop right view. And that's what we're doing here. We're training ourselves uh, uh, to think deeply with discernment, freely, to develop um, more accurate right view. That's a self-training. So he goes on. It's only then meaning after one um, gets rid of the wrong views, it's only then one's mind is able to see the, quote, bigger picture and comprehend the three characteristics, also called the three marks, uh, ti lakanana, lakanana, or lakana is the marks or characteristics, ti is three, and you can see that uh, pali, which is uh, ti, ti, is uh, associated with Sanskrit, which is tree, tree loka, three worlds, three realms, which is goes back to the root of English, uh, tree, tree, three, tri, uh, tri, tree, uh, being associated with the number three. And so some of the Pali uh, shows you etymological history of English. So only after one gets rid of the ten wrong views then one can go to a deeper understanding of reality in terms of the three marks, anicca, anatta, dukkha. And I've gone over this ground countless times. And Gautama himself actually said that the whole of his teaching could be understood if one really understands anicca, or impermanence, instability, or inconstancy. 
one naturally goes to understanding anatta or selflessness or insubstantiality. One naturally goes to understanding dukkha or stress or in, uh, unsatisfactoriness. So only one, one has to clear these wrong views to then more, more deeply perceive these three marks, and that's considered critical on the Buddhist path. And these are three marks of this world, of the 31 realms, right, 31 planes uh, in the Triloka, three realms, right, Kamaloka, Rupa Loka, Arupa Loka. And then once one comprehends Ti Lakanana, or the three marks to some extent, one becomes Sotapanna, or gets into the Noble Eightfold Path, and subsequently attains higher stages of Nibbana, meaning approaches complete and perfect enlightenment. And so uh, one can say that one needs to have finished with moral and existential nihilism before one can uh, develop right view associated with spiritual view, associated with a multidimensional um, but also karmically based worldview, a worldview based on recognition of multidimensionality and karmic causality to, to actually achieve truly spiritually. So the nihilists and the materialists have no spiritual future unless they move out of those perspectives. Number two, he goes on, but there are many people today who have at least some of the ten types of michaditi wrong view, and yet they believe they are on the noble path. And he goes on, but it is clear from above that some may not even be on the mundane path, <clears throat> and that's his distinction between mundane and noble eightfold paths, but it's really one. There are two perspectives of understanding the eightfold path. Mundane is understanding it dualistically, and noble is actually understanding it in light of the three marks, and that, in a sense, there is no path. And so that's why I had a video called uh, The Pathless Path. <clears throat> it's a deep Zen understanding, Buddhist, you know, Chan tradition understanding, that uh, the, the, the Buddhist teachings themselves are subject to the three marks, meaning the teachings, all the, these teachings are themselves impermanent and insubstantial and ultimately empty or sunya and not um, eternal or abiding. They're just um, uh, skillful means to help direct the mind towards that which is beneficial to one's being in the long run. Going on, he says, those, and I've, this is ground we covered from last week, but I think it's very important. <clears throat> he goes on, those ten types, these, those, or these, that'll be presented below, ten types of michaditi cannot be given up just by saying to oneself that one believes in them, or one doesn't believe in them, actually. This guy is from Sri Lanka, I believe, and so um, he may be born in America or the West, but his English is a little funky sometimes to me. He says, one's mind must be convinced of it, and that conviction comes by learning Dhamma, true nature of this world. Meaning, you can't give up wrong views, or you have, we, we don't give up wrong view simply by imagining we have. We have to really be sure it's wrong. <laughs> Likewise, any right view isn't obtained simply by wanting it, but by pondering. And that's why Gautama said, you know, even if you respect me, 
or what I say makes sense or seems true to you, uh, work with it yourself and you'll see, particularly uh, the three marks teaching, that this is really true. And so profession and conviction are distinct or different. Profess, I profess it so, doesn't necessarily mean I know. And so we're, t we're talking about serious stuff here because actually how we think about self and life and world very, very significantly um, influences how we live this life, how we speak and act and further think. And that's shown in this discourse of the Great Forty, the relation, the, the primacy of view and, and right view for the path and wrong view for further suffering. And so he goes on. <clears throat> in this post, we focus on the Paraloa, also called Paraloka, and Gandhava, also called Gandharva in Sanskrit, because many Theravadins incorrectly assume that Gandhava is a Mahayana concept. Mahayana meaning the later development of Buddhist schools, particularly devotional and Zen and Chan, and what came out of all that, or related to that, was the Tantric schools and then Tibetan Vajrayana. So you have uh, Hinayana, Mahayana, Vajrayana, or early schools of Pali Buddhism, middle schools of Mahayana, particularly Chan or Zen, uh, and the devotional schools and some of the esoteric schools of China, Japan, Korea. Then you have Vajrayana. These are called the three yanas. So everything, lots of number systems. The, 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 there's actually a book, I think, called The Big Book of Buddhist uh, Lists. <laughs> there's a book of lists, and Buddhism is uh, big on lists because they came from Indians. So the, the point here is uh, Paraloa, <clears throat> is an in-between loka. Para loka, para, like gate gate, para gate, parasam gate, bodhisvaha, para means uh, beyond. Beyond loka, it really means, um, it seems it's being used for uh, the post-death phase, spirits on the astral that are going to reincarnate in third density in some way. The non-physical astral realm, 3D time space, associated with inter-incarnationality, mid-incarnational experience, between incarnations. So he's going to talk about that. He's going to talk about Gandhava. Gandhava, as I said last time, can mean the lowest level of non-physical entity. In that, it's basically considered... Um, heavenly musicians, and the lovely point was made that they are thought to um, reside in the aroma or scent or perfume of uh, flowers and sap and bark. And so when you go to <clears throat> the flower nearby and you put your nose into it and um, feel love and beauty, uh, you may be communing with a Gandharva. But the point about Gandharva, it's not that Gandhava is a big deal. It's just one level of non-physical astral entity. So Buddhist cosmology says. The point is that many spiritually minded people reject the reality of the astral plane. <laughs> and <clears throat> uh, believe it or not, <clears throat> there's a big, there has been a, a, an agenda 
from the Confederation, actually from the Council of Saturn, to help humanity uh, in this last phase of the third density cycle by alerting people to the reality of the astral plane. So the purpose of um, Chico Xavier's incarnation in Brazil, the purpose of Howard Storm and many other people's near-death experiences, the purpose of books or movies such as What Dreams May Come, Defending Your Life, um, uh, A Matter of Life and Death, uh, David Niven, fantastic movie, uh, all sorts of movies that talk about the life after death, Heaven Can Wait, many, many ghosts with uh, Whoopi and all that. So many, there, there, it seems very clear to me that there is a hierarchy, you know, the hierarchy, the Wait Right, the Great White Lodge, or the uh, Council of Saturn, working through the Confederation and various people incarnation, in, in incarnation, uh, to alert humanity to the reality of the astral plane. And that's the reality of Paraloa. And that's the reality of beings of different levels of development that begins in the Buddhist cosmology with Gandhava. And there is, I've said long ago, a movement within Buddhism and Hinduism, particularly Buddhism, maybe not Hinduism, uh, to get Buddha Dhamma without mysticism, to strip away the um, metaphysics of Buddhism and simply keep it, uh, bring it to a kind of uh, love-based social activist perspective or psychological healing and uh, stress reduction uh, technique to be used in uh, Boston hospitals by uh, PhD psychologists or Vipassana teachers or some guy in England who basically rejects the reincarnation and, and afterlife and spirits and entities and all that, non-physical entities, and says he's a Buddhist and teaches people about that. And so that's really what's um, at stake here is the metaphysical heritage of Buddhism, the, the inheritance of Buddhist metaphysics as an integral, <laughs> an integral aspect of Buddha Dhamma, Buddha teaching. So let's go on. Number three. <clears throat> the ten types of Michaditi are listed in many suttas, including this Mahachatarisaka, Chattarisaka Sutta, grade 40. And I won't do the Pali, but I'll give his English of the ten, or his translation of the ten. Uh, and there are sections to these. Giving or dana has no merit. So these are the wrong views. Giving or dana has no merit. Being grateful and responding in kind for what others have done for oneself has no merit. Respecting and making offerings to those with higher virtues has no merit. What we enjoy or suffer in this life is not due to kama-vipaka, meaning cause-effect, but they just happen. This world does not exist. Paraloa, paraloka, or the world of Gandhava does not exist. There is no special person as a mother. There is no special person as a father. There are no opapatika, instantaneous births. And there are no shramana, brahmana, or yogis and aryas with magical powers, abhinya, who can see both this world and the next. Imancha lokam and parancha lokam. So, <clears throat> uh, the first four here 
are associated with uh, moral nihilism. The five and six and nine and ten are associated with existential nihilism. Moral nihilism means really, you know, do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. There's nothing else, said old Crowley uh, to his own demise. There's nothing else. That's it. Do whatever you want. That's all. He thinks. They believe, indeed. So there is no merit, meaning positive karmic consequence to generosity or any so-called moral or ethical behavior. So giving is without merit, gratitude and um, equi equitable response to being given has no merit, has no karma, um, taking care of those, the wise and the worthy, or giving to those who are further along with the path has no, no karmic consequence. And of course, as I said, they certainly would believe that there aren't people with higher virtue, or virtue is uh, illusory. Uh, further, <clears throat> um, with a kind of karmic nihilist here, what we enjoy and suffer in this life is not due to causality, it just happens. And that's really where most people are at. This is moral nihilism, and it's based in existential nihilism. Since there are no past lives and there's no future life and there's no invisible worlds, of course, science hasn't proven it. It can't be true, so they think. Things just happen. Oh, well, you end up with um, genetic disorder. You end up paralyzed. You end up dying young. It ends up this way, that way. It just happens. That's really how most people see life, it seems. Uh, then we get into the more, <clears throat> more solidly existential uh, nihilistic wrong views. This world doesn't exist. As I said, that's the real funny, hardcore one. But the particularly normal is uh, the astral plane and the world of non-physical entities is not. There is no afterlife. There is no other realm or realms. There are no beings. And you see this, and I see this in the UFO community, where they're so, it's so difficult for the Westerners. It's so difficult it seems, for the researchers to understand that these entities, you have ETs, come from other dimensions. They come from other planets, other dimensions. They can come in and out of this dimension. And ET equals ultra-dimensional. We don't have to make new words. <laughs> we just have to understand reality. But they don't, because they're materialists, and many of them are militarists. So... It's a sad, <laughs> don't look to human authority for knowledge. Look to yourself and wherever you may find it. So, <clears throat> uh, this is a very common ex you know, existential nihilist perspective. Uh, there is no realm outside the physical, and there are no entities there either. Likewise, there's no, there are no instantaneous births, and this was considered, this is, it'll be explained later on, uh, the idea of being born, like we see in the movie um, Astral City, right? Uh, or even Howard Storm's experience. Howard Storm ends up on the astral in a purgatory realm or in a more divine realm. Chico Xavier's Dr. Louise ends up on the in the lower realm and then in the astral city. 
not having been born as a baby. He's born. He simply appears um, instantaneously in a form comparable to how it was before he died in the last human lifetime, in the last lifetime. Likewise, other wrong views that there are no yogis or adepts who have magical powers. So, uh, in fact, that's a corollary of, uh, or necessary for support to the view that there are no, there's no astral plane and no beings there. There can't be anybody who sees that or anybody who says they see it as a liar or a fraud or a psycho or um, doesn't know anything. Which is really how people believe about, you know, yogis. They really have no idea what people are doing in meditation and magic powers, you know, is basically not understood either. Now we go deeper, number three. He writes, I have highlighted three types of michaditi, which are common, that are common. They are somewhat interrelated. But the one about the Gandaba is a michaditi that even those who believe themselves to be, quote, devout Buddhists, Buddhists seem to have. They believe that the Buddha did not teach about Gandaba or the Paraloa. And again, this is a stand-in. It's not that Gandaba is the most important level or being uh, in the hierarchy of non-physical beings. And it's not that Paraloa is um, critical and the whole of the non-physical. It's simply that this, the Gandaba is the existence of the even lowest level of non-physical entity. Paraloa is the realm closest to the physical that's non-physical, closest to the physical that's invisible, which is called astral, or is basically an aspect of Kamaloka. But you see, it wasn't written, it was written this way in the Great Forty, the Discourse of the Great Forty, meaning they... Gautama, whoever, however they put it out, selected Gandaba and Paraloa. But Gandaba is a stand-in for all non-physical beings, and Paraloa is a stand-in for all non-physical realms, which are the higher levels of Kamaloka, 3D time space, and Rupaloka, Arupaloka, in fits in the raw hierarchy as well. And so it's very true that you have a lot of Buddhists, a lot of spiritually-minded people, who can't handle the reality of the astral plane. They can't handle the reality, yes, baby, there's a hell. Yes, indeed, there's a hell. And it's as real as this world. And it's made by mine. And there are other people there who've made that or experienced that because their mind is already hellish today, meaning full of anger and hate and full of intoxication. You know, it's basically... um, anger, strong, strong of anger, desire, aversion, particularly, uh, aggression, uh, self-punishment, harshness. I mean, why did Howard Storm go there? And why did Dr. Louise? Both of them had hurt, hurt others and hurt themselves. And that's the issue. Strongly hurting self, strongly hurting other. And so we have to be careful. <laughs> we don't want to hurt people because we will experience the mind that did that after death and more than a few people i would imagine frankly that possibly 40 percent of humanity it's possible that 30 or 40 percent of humanity goes to a lower realm for some time after death Uh, there's something to be concerned about there he goes on 
Um, so yes, um, and we'll look into this. Uh, the the Buddhists who don't believe um, or believe that Gautama didn't talk about Gandhava or Paraloka. Uh, and he makes the point, there is Tirokuta Petavatu in the Petavatu portion of the Kudaka Nikaya, which is one of the major sections of sutras and writings in from the Pali. This has been translated to English, not very good, but one can get the idea. And that's from, um, um, you know, our dear um, Tanisaro Bhikkhu. And he writes, it's not a good translation, but one can get the idea. Tirakuda Kanda, hungry shades outside the wall. We can also see his writing on Tarababa, Gandhababa, Gandhaba. And so, lots of Pali words. And... Um, I guess we can read this here fast. Sorry, I do want to go fast because I don't want to spend another week on the same first page. But uh, I sent the link to Tiro Kuda Kanda, Hungry Shades Outside the Wall. And as I said last time, this is from a very old portion of the Pali um, Tripitaka, Tripitaka, or Pali language. Uh, Buddhist teachings from the earliest times, 2300 years ago, 2500 time of Gautama, but it was written on palm leaves about I don't know, 22-2300 years ago and so this is uh, old stuff and you can get a sense of the mind of uh, 2500 years ago here so let me just read it the translation uh, from Pali by Tanisaro Bhikkhu uh, which uh, the author of Pridhamma thinks is not a very good translation, but it's good enough for us for now. So, Tirakuda Kanda, hungry shades or spirits or, or spooks outside the walls. Outside the walls they stand, and at crossroads, at doorposts they stand, returning to their old homes. But when a meal with plentiful food and drink is served, no one remembers them. Such is the kama of living beings. Thus, those who feel sympathy for their dead relatives give timely donations of proper food and drink, exquisite, clean, thinking, may this be for our relatives, may our relatives be happy. And those who have gathered there the assembled shades, or spirits, of the relatives with appreciation, give their blessing for the plentiful food and drink. Quote, May our relatives live long, because of whom we have gained this gift. We have been honored, and the donors are not without reward. For there, and then this is the, the teaching outside the quote of the, the entity, the teaching of the sutta, for there in their realm there's no farming, no herding of cattle, no commerce, no trading with money. They live on what is given here, hungry shades whose time here is done. As water raining on a hill flows down to the valley, even so does what is given here benefit the dead. As rivers full of water fill the ocean full, even so does what is given here benefit the dead. Quote, He gave to me she acted on my behalf. They were my relatives, companions, friends. End quote. 
this is uh, the thinking um, a person who's passed over. Offerings should be given for the dead when one reflects thus on things done in the past, meaning the person who died, uh, the person who's still alive, thinking of the person who died, thinking that he or she gave to me, acted on my behalf, they were my relatives, companions, and friends. Um, Offerings should be given for the dead when one reflects thus on things done in the past, meaning how the others were good to me. For no weeping, no sorrowing, no lamentation benefits the dead whose relatives persist in that way. But when this offering is given, well placed in the Sangha, it works for their long-term benefit, and they profit immediately. In this way, the proper duty to relatives has been shown. Great honor has been done to the dead, and monks have been given strength. The merit you've acquired isn't small. So this is straight, direct teaching from the early, very early portion of the Pali Canon, actually from what's called uh, Petavatu. Um, very interesting stories in that section, Petavatu, uh, indicating uh, these are people who've died. There's no farming or herding, no trading, and um, they need help. And what is done, what is given here inevitably benefits them. What is given in the physical to help them uh, helps them (laughs) metaphysically, even if um, obviously they don't eat physically the food and drink that's offered. It doesn't matter. Uh, And so stupid materialists say, oh, well, how can uh, giving food and drink to people who are dead benefit them because they don't have a body to eat the food and drink? Obviously, they can't eat the food and drink. They eat the subtle essence. So they, they, indi- they eat or absorb or are benefited by um, the, the thoughts and the energetics associated with the thoughts and the intentions of the giving of that particular food. Uh, the food and the drink is of uh, real physical nourishment associated with the mental condition um, of real real bodily nourishment and so physical uh, this is the physical world as a symbol the physical world is a symbol of the in the world of intention and meaning and significance the physical world is itself uh, a shroud to the world of mind and meaning and significance. And so when, when anyone or relatives gives food and drink sincerely to their loved ones who've died, um, what's, there, there is uh, an expre- a, there is a energy uh, expression. There is the generation and transmission of energy the generation and transmission of energy associated with the thought forms, associated with may they be well and happy taking nourishment uh, where they are. And they eat that. They are nourished. The, 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 the people who are at this place, this is, we're talking about hungry ghosts here, earthbound spirits who have not moved along. Not every human is uh, a hungry shade outside the wall. But those that are stuck in the earthbound 
spirit condition, uh, indeed long for nourishment, indeed miss what's happening in 3D physical. That's why they're, they're still wandering. That's why they're earthbound, because they have too strong attachment, particularly desire, uh, for experiences of 3D space-time to be gone so quickly. They can't move right along, so they're stuck in the midway. Then that's very much paraloka. They're stuck in paraloa, or stuck at this kind of um, uh, quasi-astral plane. It's an astral plane. Obviously, it's not physical. It's not, they don't have a physical body, but it's it's an interface between the 3D space-time and 3D time-space. That's paraloka. They're there because they really wanted to stay in space-time too strongly, very strongly. And what is indeed generated and transmitted in the, in, in the, the provision of ritual, ritual offerings, the provision of ritual nourishment and offering, uh, is the very substantial thought forms, or insubstantial, <laughs> energy substantial, thought forms uh, associated with feeding and nourishing and bringing benefit to those that have died. They eat that, those intentions, and though that energy, um, the transmission is of energy and thought form, thought form energy, and they eat that. And Gautama or whoever wrote this indicates that no weeping, no sorrowing, no other lamentation benefits the dead, whose relatives persist in that way meaning if relatives persist in long-term grieving and weeping over the dead, that doesn't help the dead. But when this offering is given in the Sangha, also to monks, or it's not, I don't know if they're giving food to the monks, but they're giving food at in the Sangha or in a monastic setting, either for the monks or for the monks for the benefit of the relatives. This is still done in Thailand. There are ceremonies done after death, uh, after some relative's death by the family members with the Sangha of the monks, whereby offerings are made to the Sangha for the relatives or for the relatives through the Sangha, something like that. It works for their long-term benefit. They profit immediately. They eat it. They get it. They got it. They're, they get the love. They get the love, may you be well and happy, by this offering when it's done in the right way or when it's done sincerely. And Gautama, or whoever, indicates then, by this offering, proper duty to relatives is shown, honor, great honor has been done to the dead, monks have been given strength, meaning it helps the monks, I guess, the, the offerings are for the Sangha also. The merit you've acquired isn't small, so back to merit. So, even though there's significant merit, dana, this is giving, um, interdimensionally, uh, even though that's the law, you're going to get benefit. It's nice to get benefit. It's nice to have merit that brings benefit. You still do it anyway, or you do it because you also want to do it and help them. So, uh, knowledge of karmic law and the benefits of merit or beneficial karmic consequences of right action and goodly action, knowledge of that doesn't cancel out the law. <laughs> The law is not cancelled out by your awareness of it. The law is put into action 
by the relative degree of sincerity one has in performance. So, knowing I'm going to get some reward here, uh, that's nice, but uh, I also want to do it. <laughs> I also want to help my dead relatives, or whatever. Uh, the, the giving in and of itself is right, and one can do it sincerely, even though one knows the law and still wants the consequences of karmic law for merit. But the point is, <laughs> uh, the idea of Gandhava and Paraloa goes to the earliest level of Pali teaching, Pali, Pali language, early Buddhist teaching, the earliest level. And so uh, if you think that Gautama, not you, but whoever, you know, these are really kind of uh, overly intellectual Western Buddhists and even some Eastern, maybe Malaysian or Chinese-based Buddhists who are heavy in the Mahayana, uh, don't necessarily believe that Gautama taught um, some, you know, about uh, non-physical entities and the afterlife, but in fact he did. And it came from the earliest time. So Buddhism is metaphysical. Buddhism is esoteric. <laughs> Buddhism is a multidimensional teaching. And Gautama knew much about that. So thank you again. Please take good care of yourselves. See you next time and good night.